Imagine. A long time ago, we used to be able to walk hand in hand with the father in the garden in the cool of the day. What would it look like for you and me to have that again? Great morning, Victory Midtown. Y'all doing all right out there today? It is so good to see everyone in the house this morning, and we're excited that the seasons are changing, the sun is out, you're starting to get a little bit more daylight at the end of the day. How many people happy about that? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, listen, I want to uh, say something before I jump into the actual message, because I believe that we need to celebrate and talk about the things that we find important. And one of the things that we find very important here at Victory Midtown and Victory at Large is the saving of souls into the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but somebody in one time in my life was praying for me so that I could get saved. Somebody at one time in my life, they actually were standing in the gap to make sure that I didn't keep walking in destructive behaviors. And one of the great things that we have done as a staff and even in corporate prayer that we do before services, we've been praying for the last two months that we will actually see 100 souls come to know Jesus, 100 new souls come to know Jesus by the end of the first quarter this year. And I'm excited to say today we can announce on last week we actually crossed over the 100 mark with 108 people giving their lives to Jesus. Come on, you can do better than that. Clap like it's for you. Come on, clap like it's for you. I'm excited about that because as we are a church and our mission is to develop fully, fully committed disciples, you can't become a disciple until you first become a believer. And so we're taking the steps and walking this thing out, and I'm excited that we have an opportunity to see people go from one place all the way to a new trajectory in their lives and see God move in their lives. So as we go into this series, I want to just say that because we never can take those things for granted. Now, I want to do a little bit of an inventory. I want to see so I can kind of feel the room. How many people, by a show of hands, you were here last week for the first uh, message of the series? All right, about half the room. If you were not here, I want to encourage you. We started a brand new series last week called When You Pray, When You Pray. And Pastor Johnson gave us an incredible message called Kiss Me, Kiss Me. And the whole crux of the message was talking about intimacy with God, communing with God, understanding that prayer should not be this formulaic kind of written agenda type of thing that we just go ahead and spill out all of our needs and our wants to God. It should be that we're in communion with him. It should be that we actually have a relationship with him so that we are not just having a one-way conversation, but it's a mutual conversation. And one of the things that he gave us, he gave us what we call the victory challenge, the victory challenge. And the victory challenge, for those who weren't here last week, it's when you take three or four times out of your day and just take about three or four minutes about the length of a song and just hear from God. Just sit there and present your heart to him and slow down, take away the stress and things that are going on and just present your heart to God and say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to commune with you. I want a relationship with you. Before I start asking you for something, I want to tap into who you are. And if you did that this week, you really found that there was a refreshing in your life. And today, as he started off in that particular message, we're going to continue because the whole thing he said is that a lot of times what we do is we substitute with counterfeit things the nourishment that we're supposed to get in the things of God. What he actually said, he said, our communion with God should be like spiritual nourishment, like the greatest filet mignon of steak. And for some of my non-carnivorous people in the house, my vegans in the house, 
Let's say it's like cauliflower with vegan cheese. It's like a quinoa burger or portobello stuffed mushrooms. Are y'all hungry enough yet? Whether you're a meat eater or you're not a meat eater, we need to know that while we get those type of things in the natural, God can feed us so much better in the spiritual. And one of the things that he gave us, and if you're taking notes, this is actually goes even with this message. He said this, he said, if we have tasted the best, we will never settle for the rest. If we have tasted, when the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If we have tasted the best, we won't settle for the rest. And one of the things he, he said as well, he said, when you walk around life hungry, everything or everybody will look like a snack. Y'all know what I'm saying on that one. If you walk around here hungry, that's a snack, you a snack, you a snack, you a snack. I'm trying to look like a snack. Whatever you want to do, it will look like a snack. But what I'm excited about today is that as we get ready to go into this series, we don't want to just continue to just kind of go from snack to snack. We want to walk around full. We want to walk around nourished. And my thing here today is that the only way that we can do that is if we really develop a true relationship with God where he can feed us until we want no more. So as we're walking through this today, what I want you to know is that prayer, the communing of God, every single thing that you operate in life is tied to your prayer life. Every single thing. That's a point to write down. If you, have, if you haven't even started writing notes yet, everything in your life is tied to your prayer life. Let me say it like this. Any struggle that I'm having in my life is tied to how I'm praying. How things are going in my marriage, if there's tension in my marriage, it's tied probably to how I'm praying or not praying. How things are going on in my health is generally tied to how I'm praying. How my emotions and my esteem, if I'm walking through depression or walking through too much pressure, it's generally tied to how I'm praying. Even my finances, a lot of times, how I decide to spend money is generally tied to how I'm praying. And you keep hearing me say how because the Bible doesn't make any qualms about it that it's not about if we should pray. Jesus, when he said, I'm going to teach you a method of praying, he said, when you pray. So the fact that he said when you pray means that this is something that we must and that we should do and that we can benefit from. So when we understand how we pray and how that's important to us, this message today will give us probably the greatest key of how we are to walk that out and how we're to access what God has for us when we pray. Now, this particular key that I'm going to hone in today and I'm going to focus on, this particular key deals with your sin. It starts to control and shift your emotional health. It shifts any instability that might be going on in your life. And literally almost every problem that you face in your life is tied to this type of prayer that we're going to talk about today. This key to prayer that we're talking about is actually found in Psalm 139. For my Bible scholars in the house, you already know where I'm going. But there's two words that this actual prayer indicates. And the two words are, search me. Search me. When you hear the word search me, and I thought about this, nobody really comes out and actually uses those words on a regular basis, at least together. You don't walk around saying, search me. You might walk around saying, I need this or I need that, but you don't necessarily walk around saying, search me. And as I was preparing this message this week, I was traveling and God started to speak to me while I was in the airport. And so I was going through security. How many people like going through TSA? Nobody raised their hand. None of us like going through TSA because TSA and being searched and going through security, it's like the great equalizer. All of us have to go through something. 
So there was a time in my life where I had to do a lot of traveling. I traveled three to four times a week. I was on planes all the time. But I've kind of slowed down in the travel, and in this particular week, I was out of town traveling, and I didn't have to be in a rush. I wasn't in a rush. I was able to take my time. I went through security, but my antenna started to go up. I started to be very aware of what was going on around me. And as I went through security, God just kind of nudged me on my shoulder, and he said, Andrew, God doesn't call me Mo. God doesn't call me Mo when he's trying to get my attention. He basically said, Andrew Levell Moman Jr., Take a moment and actually sit down. Some of y'all are like, you just gave your whole government name. He said, take a moment, sit down for a second, and look at everybody that's walking through security. When I started to look at everyone that was going through security, there were some life observations that I started to make because I was able to slow down. And I just want to share some of those observations with you because I believe it ties into our posture today as we talk about this. Some of the observations that I made was that in order to actually go from one place, one destination, to another destination where you're on the way to something, all of us had to go through security. No one was exempt from being searched. The other observation I made was that everyone had to be searched, whether you were young or old, whether you came in there and you were happy or sad, everyone had to be searched, whether it was by x-ray or whether it was by a pat-down. Another thing I found was that I watched people operating a lot of anxiety People started getting real stiff. They started getting real nervous as they were going by. Because the reality is, these security checks, this search me posture is actually meant to find things that you might not even know are hurtful. This posture of search me was something that as people are going through there, you might think that you're all ready. You might think that you're prepared. But how many of you have thought that you have prepared very well? You've packed your bag and you still get that bag pulled over to the side and they say we need to go to an extra screening? I've had that happen to me. I remember one time I was in there and they actually opened my bag and they found a magazine of bullets. I didn't have a gun with me, but I forgot to take out my magazine. And I was sitting there praying in the spirit, saying, Lord, don't take me to jail right now. I'm doing your business. I'm saying that because when you take the time and when I took the time and when you travel and you take the time to go through security, there are people that can see past what you can see. There are people that can actually keep you from walking in a dangerous situation and help protect the things around you by taking the time to filter and search you. I'm going somewhere with this. This observation that I walked through, what it did ultimately is it showed me that we are all vulnerable and sensitive when we have to be searched because that's when it expresses reality. We all, when we are being searched, we're no longer in control anymore. A lot of us are used to actually calling the shots and, and manipulating how life would go. But when you say these two words, search me, what you're doing is that you're yielding your power over to somebody else's power. When you say search me, you're saying, I don't know what's best for me right now, so I need to get with the regulations that are actually established so that it can be searched out. As we're walking through this, what you understand when being searched is that anything hidden or out of order is now brought to light. So as we're looking at this, I want to actually tell you about a person who made this search me prayer very popular. And it was the man David. David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's such a character in the Bible that he, he actually emulates some of the things that I like to actually walk in myself. David was a warrior on one side, but he was also very empathetic and actually sensitive on the other side. He was like a lion in one case, but he was also a lamb. Let me make this very real in 2020 terms. David was that guy that would cut your head off in one setting 
and then he will win a Grammy about the song that he just wrote about cutting your head off. All right? So he can play in both roles. He can kind of step in and out. And when we look at David, what we see was that while he was powerful, while he was king, while he had all this authority, there was something that God said about David that gives us keys to how we need to walk our lives out today. This key that I want to give us is actually found in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. This is one of the disciples, Luke, he actually wrote this about David. He said this, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. I don't know about you, but if God was saying that this is a man after my own heart, that he would do everything that I want him to do, that's a high compliment. That's a high accomplishment. But some of you Bible scholars in the room are saying, okay, but I remember David did some stuff. David was the same person while he was king. He actually didn't discipline his children well. While he was king, he actually saw someone that was not his wife and he slept with her and then she got pregnant. And then when she got pregnant, he tried to cover it up by killing her husband. God, you sure about that? You sure that he's a man after your own heart? What's exciting about this scripture and what it tells us today is that just like David had problems, just like David was not perfect, just like David fell and did some things that were out of character in God, God still called him a man after his own heart because he's a forgiving God. You ought to be excited about that because you did some things that if you would actually see them put on the big screen right now, you wouldn't actually think you were able to be in church. You did some things that while you called yourself a Christian, they actually would be things that didn't match up to the character of being a Christian. So what this gives us, it gives us all hope to say, if David can walk in that, I can walk in that. Somebody say, if David can walk in that, I can walk in that. So we're excited about this. And the key to how David was able to walk in this is that he understood the matters of the heart. David understood that the importance of his relationship with God was tied to the posture of his heart. He knew that his heart connection with God's heart was a source for his life for every day. And this is what we also need to see. Because the reality is, David's son Solomon, he wrote something. And Solomon was seen to be the most wise person to ever live on this earth. And he gave us a clue right here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. If you're following by you version today or if you're looking on the screen, I want us to read this particular scripture together because this gives us a key of how we need to walk and how our minds need to be. Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to read this on three. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Above all else, guard your heart, for some of the things you do flows from it. I'm trying to see if y'all awake in here. Let's read it one more time. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. See, when you understand that everything you do flows from it, you'll start to take a little bit more care in how you operate. Because what we need to grab is that the choices that I make, they flow from it. The attitudes that I reflect, they flow from my heart. The words that I speak, out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth speaks. So if you say something, you know, you stub your toe and some different words come out, you might need to take inventory on where your heart is. The relationships I have, the condition of my heart, everything flows from it. Now, you may be sitting here saying, okay, well, I have a good heart. 
Everything I do, I do with good intentions. I've been following my heart. But here's the thing. God knows your heart, and what he knows about your heart is that your heart can deceive you. I got an amen over there. Somebody said, that just happened to me this week. (laughs) Your heart can deceive you if you allow it to drive you. And what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, let's watch this. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. It poses the question, who really knows how bad it is? When you take that in, it's kind of like a sailor. You take your time, and when it asks that question, we need to ask the question, who really knows how the heart is? How is my heart really leading me? Let me make this practical. How many of you, by a show of hands, I need an honest church in this moment. How many of you, by a show of hands, you felt like you were in love in either high school or college? At least once. At least once. See, I'm going to be real with you. I thought I found my wife one, twice in high school and at least once in college. And what I realized, I'm glad I was wrong because I wouldn't have met this one over here. But I'm thankful that my heart, even while it was leading me a different way, it was showing me something that was a counterfeit. And this is for somebody right here. This is not in my notes. How many of you know that a lot of times the counterfeit comes before the real thing comes? So that's for somebody this week. You need to look at something. When it comes and it's looking good and your heart is fluttering, you need to say, I don't know. You might be a counterfeit. But here's the thing. Many people follow what their hearts are saying. Many people allow their hearts to really guide them, but this is what I want you to know. Many people have misplaced and misappropriated their hearts not knowing it was actually their hormones talking to them. I see some heads shaking up there. Somebody don't want to say, man, just say, ouch. You can think it's your heart, but a lot of times it's your hormones. It's your things that are carrying you. Because the thing is, look, the seasons are changing right now. It's starting to get a little warm. Now that cuffing season is almost over, is your heart saying the same thing about that person that it said in November? Come on, can we have a real church in here? Now that Valentine's week is over and you're good, you had your dinner, you got your chocolates, you got your flowers, is your heart still saying the same thing? We have to be careful to let our, not let our hearts drive us because the reality is at the core of our hearts is generally selfishness. At the core of our hearts, generally, it's all about us. At the core of our hearts, it's generally not about Christ and what he's saying, but it's about how I feel, what I want, and not what he wants. So this takes us back to the search me prayer. We're going to deem this the search me prayer. And the search me prayer is found in Psalm 139, as I've said. So let's read this together from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read it. You can just listen and follow along. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. Search me, God. What I'm asking right now is that I don't know everything about myself. Even when I think that I'm doing the right thing, even when I think I'm a good person, even when I think I've been making all the right decisions, I don't know what's good for me. And I think if we admit a little bit more often that we really don't know what's good for us, God can actually lead us in a more effective way. Let me show you something. I'm going to give you some background for the mindset that David was in when he prayed this prayer. See, when David prayed this prayer, somebody was trying to kill him. 
Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was jealous of him because he was saying, seeing that David was starting to take a little bit of his shine. David was starting to take a little bit of his popularity. But I don't know about you, if someone was following after me, throwing arrows and daggers at me and trying to run me down and all my people, I don't know if I would be saying, search me, O Lord. I would be saying, seek and destroy him, O Lord. Kill him, Jesus. But David didn't say this. David said, search me, O Lord. Let me make sure that while the pressure is on me, I don't want you to actually destroy my enemy. I want you to show me how I need to operate. So here's the key. All of us can learn from David right here because what he was doing, he looked inside of him and said, God, tell me what I need to know about myself. Can we say that together? Lord, tell me what I need to know about myself. Search me. As we pray that prayer, what we're doing is that we're giving full access to God. Now, I don't think I'm by myself in here today, but I would venture to say that we don't give full access to people that we don't trust. And that is the reason why a lot of us don't give full access to God because we really, if we're honest, we don't really know if we trust God. Because we've seen God represented as this person that's always trying to judge me. We've seen God represented as someone who's always trying to make sure that when you do this wrong that you're going to be punished from it. But I'm here to tell you that God is not just a God that wants to correct you. He is a God that wants to forgive you as well. He wants to see you free. He wants to see you cared for. But what happens is that if we only see him in one way, we will never open ourselves up to him. Practical example, my wife has all of my passwords all of the things on my phone, on, on any account that we have, on any email. She has my account. Somebody in here is saying, Mo, move on. You're kind of meddling right now. <laughs> she has everything. She doesn't have to wait till I go to sleep and then wait for me to wake up to put the face ID on me to make sure my phone comes open. Some of y'all got happy when they came out with facial ID. I'm saying that. I'm joking, but I'm serious because I trust her. She has full access to my life. Because I trust her, she has full access to my heart. Let me show you something. There's something, if you've taken premarital counseling here at Victory, or if we've had the opportunity to walk with you through that process, there's something that we actually use called the Jahari window that I want to introduce to you. This particular thing called the Jahari window is used to talk about and to walk through relational things with different people. And what you see here, you see four quadrants on this Jahari window. In this Jahari window, what you have is you have an open area. You have a blind area, which is our blind spot. You have a hidden area, which is the one that nobody knows about but you. And then you have the unknown area that you don't even know exists there. And what we want to do is we're asking God to have full access to our lives. We're starting to make a shift from this place where there's four equal quadrants to going to the next place where the open area now starts to open up a little bit. The open area now starts to diminish the blind spot because you start to ask God, search me, show me the things that were blind spots to me, the things that people told me about that I didn't know about myself, the areas that I didn't want to listen to anybody about, but they are really true. Show me what those areas in the blind spot starts to go down. The hidden area starts to go down. The unknown area starts to go down. Let me ask this question. How many of us this hidden area that was there is really bigger than any area in our lives. Because God does not desire for that to be that way. He desires for his entire place of our hearts to be the open area. 
And this is what we tell couples when we go through premarital because what we find is that people only show them a side of themselves. That's why we say, don't just go ahead and get married right away without any counsel because give, them, give the person at least six months to go through some seasons. Give the person an opportunity to actually talk to you about the things that are hidden, to talk to you about the things that are blind, to talk to you about those things that may be open to them that now you need to be a part of. So as we're walking through this, it's right there on your YouVersion app. This is a way that you can start to measure your relationships with other people, but more so you measure your relationship with God. So my question to you is, is your heart all the way open? Or does the hidden area take over more of your heart than the open area? As you walk through this and as you understand it, I want you to know this. It's very possible that you can be sitting in this room on church on Sunday, closed on Sunday. You can be right here, but your heart is also deceived. Where you don't even know certain things are wrong because you've never asked God to search you. Because he won't show you something unless you ask for him to show you something and actually open yourself up to see it. Here's the thing, when we give ourselves the opportunity to be searched by God, all the things that we do, serving, coming to church, giving, all those things, they can be good, but if we're not really open to God, what we're really doing is playing hide and go seek with God. We're saying, Lord, I'll give you this part of me over here, but I don't want you to see this over here. When in reality, he sees and he knows all things. He's just waiting on you to confess so that you can actually get his supernatural assistance in your life. So as we're walking through this, here it is. You don't want to do this that way because what will happen is that you will be in a divided heart. You hear me say it often. We don't want you to be one person on Sunday. And then now your Wednesday self is somebody totally different. God is trying to mend the gap from this person over here to this person over here and say, be uniquely who I've called you to be in unity as I've called you and created you to walk. So as we're walking through this, this is for somebody. Some of us in the room, we need to actually trust God enough to just admit and say, this sin that I've been walking in, God, I don't want to change yet. God, I've gotten used to operating in this manner. God, I've been feeding myself with sex with somebody. I've been feeding myself with alcohol. I've been feeding myself by going to the club. I've been feeding myself with getting in toxic relationships. He wants to hear that honesty. Because so many people, what we're doing is we're walking around with a part of ourselves showing, and God is saying, I see it already. Why don't you just open it up to me so I can help you? So if we can get to the place where God is opening up ourselves, we can now walk into that next place for us, and he can teach us something. I want us to read the scripture, Psalms 86, verse 11. It says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. I'm not going to rely on me. I want to rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Because the reality is that the closer that you get to God, the more you'll start to see things that are out of order. As we're praying, sometimes we don't pray these prayers because we're comfortable. Sometimes we don't change until something hurts enough. And God is saying, you don't have to wait until it hurts. I can fix it right now. But here's a thought. I want you to write this down after you listen to me. You can never change what you decide not to look at. Let that sink in for a second. You can never change what you decide not to look at. Let me make this really real. How many of you check your mail every day? 
Not a lot of hands. I'm glad I'm not by myself. I hate checking the mail. Now, I'll actually let mail pile up and pile up. When I go down to the mailbox, I have to take a bag with me because I haven't been down there so long. But how many of you know bills come in the mail? Notices come in the mail? Sometimes alerts of good things come in the mail? But if I'm actually dreading something, if I'm dreading having to pay this particular bill, if I'm dreading this notice that I'm going to get, me actually just leaving it on the counter and not looking at it does not change that it's still there. But until I open the mail, until I look at the mail, that's the only time that I'm actually going to be able to take action and inventory about the mail. God has been sending mail to some of us. He's been giving us mail, and it's not occupant mail. It's not for the resident of. It has your name on it. His mail has your name on it to say, I want to shift something in you. I want to change something in you. I want to take away that, that desire for that sin outside of you, but you have to open this mail. If we open the mail, we can shift with what God has for us, and he can introduce us into who he wants us to be. See, the message paraphrase tells us this actual search me prayer in an even deeper way. And I want to walk us through it. Again, if you're following by version, it's there. It's going to be on the screen. I like how it said this because it kind of cross-examines us a little bit. Psalm 139 from the message, it says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Not just some of them. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, then guide me on the road to eternal life. Again, investigate my life. Come in. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about and see for yourself. Don't leave it to me. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me along the path of eternal life. See, I'm going to say it like I said it earlier. When we follow Christ, we will find that the closer that we get to him, the more we will see the areas of pride, the more we will see the areas of lust, the more we will see the areas where we're critical about things, the more we will see what somebody's been trying to tell us, but we couldn't see it because they were telling us now God has given it to us. But we have to take the time to do it. And here's the shift that we have to actually make if we're going to do this. Listen very closely. We have to shift our prayer life from asking God to do something for me to now doing something in me. I'm going to say that one more time. We have to shift our lives from asking God, do this for me, bless me this way, do this for me, to now shifting, Lord, I need you to do something in me. Because if you don't do something in me, everything about me will never change around me. But if you can shift that thing, if you can shift that focus and not try to hide behind what you think is your life, God has another life on the inside of you that he wants to show you. But you have to pray this prayer. So this goes along with the victory challenge that we gave. And my question is to you, what would happen if every single day you took three to four minutes and got vulnerable with God? See, vulnerable is not a bad word. Vulnerable is there to show you how you need to improve. What would happen if we opened ourselves up? I believe God would show us something special and he would give us clues to what he wants to do next in our lives. So this search me prayer that we're talking about is the key to a transformed heart. But I want to walk through practically three areas that really come out when we're talking about this search me prayer. The search me prayer actually focuses in these areas. One, God reveal my motives. Two, God reveal my fears. And three, God reveal 
the bad word, my sins. When we first ask God to reveal our motives, what we're asking is, Lord, what's really going on in me? Why am I really feeling the way I'm feeling? When we're asking God, reveal my fears, what we're saying is, Lord, why am I afraid about this? Why am I anxious? Have you ever been around people and you just kind of feel yourself getting anxious? You kind of feel like you need to get up and leave or it's just you're getting overcrowded? God in those moments sometimes wants you to slow down and say, search me. I want to tell you why you're anxious right now. When you ask him to reveal your sins, what you're asking is, what are the things that I've been rationalizing in my life that you really are trying to take out of my life? So when we walk through these things specifically, number one, in revealing our motives, here it is. We need to start seeing through the filter of why am I doing what I'm doing? The filter when you look at your motives is why am I actually doing what I'm doing? Let me make this plain. When you're posting something on social media, am I posting this for me or am I posting this for somebody else? Am I trying to look like a snack to somebody else or am I trying to do this just because this is something I like? Another area, when I buy clothes, what I'm wearing, am I wearing what I wear? Am I buying what I buy because I want to impress somebody else? I want to look like I have it together or do I really just like this fashion? Am I doing this for myself or am I living for someone else? When you give, now we know giving is something that we actually promote and we want you to do it, but we don't want you to give out of a bad motive. Are you giving so that you just can get a tax return? Are you giving so that you can actually stand up and say, I gave to this charity and now you can actually applaud yourself? What is your motive? Let me be very vulnerable with you about a thing that I have to battle through and walk through again as a pastor and as you're walking with so many people. The question that I have to ask and that all of our pastors ask is, yes, we want the church to grow, but why do we want the church to grow? Do we want the church to grow so that a lot of people are coming and now they're saying you're this good or, or you have this ability, you have this skill? I want to be very, very clear with you. It's not about the numbers. I've said this a million times over the last few weeks. It's not about the numbers. It's about what's happening in your life for me. But if I'm not careful, just like if you're not careful, you can get in certain situations and your motivation, your motive can change because you get caught up outside of what God has for you and how it feeds you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It tells us this, and it gives us the key of how we mark what our motives are. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That means when I'm preaching, I'm doing it to the glory of God. When I'm at work, I'm doing it to the glory of God. When I'm working out, I'm doing it to the glory of God. When I'm talking to my wife, I'm doing it to the glory of God. When I'm actually paying my bills on time, I'm doing it to the glory of God. Somebody say, I need some glory in my life. We need to do these things to the glory of God. Because here's the thing, motive matters. Motive matters. If we don't have the right motive, what will happen, write this statement down, we will start to create false positives in our lives. If we don't have the right motives, a false positive is when a good thing may not be really a God thing. A false positive is when something might be growing, something might be working, but it really is growing not because it's going in the right direction, just because the circumstances actually just matched up. And sometimes when we get a false positive, we can see success in an area not knowing that we still need to filter it through what is my motive so that we can know if this is for me. You've heard me say this before. Every good opportunity is not a God opportunity. 
So when we start to slow down and ask, what is the wise thing to do? When we slow down and start to say, Lord, why am I doing this? We will be able to have a better insight on how he wants to walk with us. This takes me to number two, reveal my fears. Reveal my fears. Psalm 139, verse 23, it says, know my anxious thoughts. Know the things that are making my heart beat fast when it shouldn't be beating that fast. Another vulnerable area for me, one of my fears is not being prepared. So that means in church, that means in life, that means when I go to different cities and I'm doing different things. See, I'm the person that carries the book bag and I have way more things that I, ha- that I need with me to make sure that I have and not need versus need and not have. I got some other people in the house, it's all right. But the point that I'm making is sometimes I can overthink it. Sometimes I can be so afraid of not being prepared that I take God out of the equation. I can try to be so prepared that I know everything to say. I know everything to do. I know how to lead. I know how to walk this way. Instead of saying, Lord, I need you to search me. Lord, I want to trust you. Because here's the thing, write this down. The areas in your life where you find yourself most fearful and most anxious are the areas where you don't trust him. Let that sit right there. The areas that you are sitting here saying, I don't know about this, they reveal where you trust God the least. And when we start to ask God to search us, what we're able to do, nobody else has to see it. He can see it and say, Mo, calm down. As a matter of fact, Andrew, calm down. I got you on this. You don't have to do this all on your own. So your fear might not be being prepared. Your fear might be your job is downsizing. Your fear might be you're 31, 32, 34, and you're not married yet. Your fear might be that you feel like you don't have enough, that your children are in situations where you can't control. God is saying, give it to me. Let me search you. So as we walk through this again, the wisdom key here is that we need to make sure that we're trusting him so that we don't try to hold things to ourselves that he wants to take from us. And lastly, number three. Number three. This is a big one. Lord, reveal my sins. Reveal my sins. Going back to the Jahari window. How many of us, if we ask God not just to search us, but to search our search history, we would be okay with what came on the screen? How many of us, if we said, Lord, search me for my sins, would be okay with allowing my neighbor to actually see what that looks like? What we have to do is we ask God to reveal our sins. Sometimes you're doing things that you didn't even know were wrong. That's why it's important to have a community of believers around you who can sharpen you as iron sharpens iron and tell you, hey, bro, sis, you might not want to do that right there anymore. You might want to take some different counsel for this because if God reveals your sins, what you will do is be able to say, I keep operating in the same cycle of sin over and over and over again because I've never allowed God to search my sins. Because write this down, sin is generally even seen as missing the mark. So when I say that, I don't want you to go to, you know, this person, you know, did something, they murdered somebody or they had tax evasion. Sin could be just, you just missed the mark outside of God's standard. But when we slow down and start to ask him, God, what is it for me? Not for my neighbor. Not for the thing that you're judging them by, but the thing that you're judging me by. What is it that I need to change? Which takes us to the point of confession, 
Whereas when we do something outside of the will of God, when we do something that is a sin, when we do something that's against what the Bible says, we first have to take it to God for forgiveness. And then when it's with people, we take it to them for healing. Let me say that again. When it comes to confessing and we ask God to reveal our sins, we take it to God first for confession. But when it's with somebody else, we take it to them for healing. Scripturally, it says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. I don't want to run over that because sometimes we see God as this arbitrary person looking down on us, punishing us. God is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we look at with people, when we need to ask for healing with people, James chapter 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So everything that I'm saying today, again, this is an interrogative type of word. This is a message that we're not going to maybe run and shout about. But I guarantee if we start to ask God to search us, we will be able to run and shout. Because we take the model of David when Nathan actually came to him and confronted him with sin. See, I don't think we make this real. Back in the day, in the Bible days, when Nathan came up to him, he was a prophet. David was the king. He was in charge. He was larger than charge. He could have looked at Nathan and said, I don't want to hear what you have to say. He could have played Nathan like, you're not, you're not telling the truth. You don't know what you're talking about. But Nathan came and confronted him with his sins. And because David was humble enough to say, God, search me. God, I'm not going to be prideful. God, I'm not going to try to hide this again. Now God is able to say, that's why you're a man after my own heart. That's why I have confidence in you that you will do everything that I called you to do. So here's what David said after that. And this should be our prayer. This is something I want you to even meditate on this week. Because when we sin, when our motives are wrong, when we miss the mark, it's not about other people, but it's to God. Here's what David said after Nathan came to him. He said, you're the one that I violated. You've seen it all. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. However you want to punish me, that's okay. I've been out of step with you for a long time. In the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me, God. Then conceive a new and true life on the inside of me. See, what I like about that scripture is that David wasn't satisfied with just being forgiven while he needed that. David took it to another step further and said, totally change me. It's not enough. I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to walk in that sin again. If I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to do it again. If I'm honest, I like doing that sin. Come on, somebody. If I'm honest, I don't want to give that up yet. Some of us have not come into church, come into a relationship with God, because we say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to say I'm down for this for God and then I'm still falling in this thing. But I'm telling you by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we can ask God to search us, he not only will forgive you of your sins, but he will recreate you. When he recreates something, that means he's making you anew. Meaning that you won't even have a point of reference for how you did it before. 
Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Turn me from the inside out. Make me anew. As we're walking through this, I want to do two things as we close today. The first thing I want to do is I want to give some people in here an opportunity today. That you came in here and you said, just like I just said, I, 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 I didn't think I was ready to give that up yet. I like this idea of being a Christian. I like this idea of following God, but I'm not ready yet. But in that explanation, as we're just talking about that, you can know right now that you don't have to do it on your own. You can actually come to God and ask him to search you. So I want to take a moment and ask us to bow our heads for a minute. I want to talk to some people. If you're in here today, and as I was ministering this word, you started to see some things in your life that you said, I've been trying to do this all by myself over and over and over again. But today, I want to say this is my day of salvation, and I'm going to give God a try. Not only am I going to give him a try, I want to submit my heart to him so that I can live a new life. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. If that's you in the room today, and you want to make that decision today, while every head is bowed, just lift one of your hands up to me. Thank you. I see those hands popping up. I see you. I see you. All over the room, I see you. Amen. You can put your hands down. Victory Midtown, we're going to pray a prayer together because those people just operated in a new step of faith. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that they start off right and we want to usher them together into this new place called salvation. So repeat after me. Lord Jesus, search me. You know me. And you know that I need you. But today I'm acknowledging that I need you. And I confess that I was a sinner. And I needed a savior. So right now, I repent of my sins, which means I turn away from my old way of doing things. And I turn towards your way of doing things. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me new. Don't just forgive me, but make me new so that I can live for you. From this day on, I am saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can put our hands together for those who just gave their lives to Jesus. Listen, we're not just counting numbers. We're counting just like in, the, in heaven, the angels are calling out for you right now, celebrating that you just made that decision. But here's the thing. We're not done yet. We're going to do something called communion. If you've never done this before, this is what Jesus talked about before he went to the cross. And at the end of every aisle, there's buckets, and they have the elements there. And I want you, if you're a believer in the house today, I want to invite you to take part in communion with us today. I'm going to explain some things because this is still a part of the ministry where we're asking God to search us. As you take those elements, I want to read this scripture because we want to take away any barriers to God meeting you right where he wants you to be. And as we were preparing this morning, even in corporate prayer, the Lord just kind of, again, he nudged me and said, listen, when people take away the barrier of sin outside of their lives, when people take away the barrier of not having me search them, then I can really show them my presence in a way like they've never seen it before. 
See, again, when we pray, it shouldn't just be that we're, you know, throwing things out there, thinking nothing's going to happen. When we pray, what we're doing is having a communication experience with God. So let me read this scripture to us, and then we're going to take a moment to do what I just preached about, to ask God to search us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Watch this. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now, I don't know about you. I remember when I was younger growing up and I would see people go through communion and they would read that scripture and they'd say, let each man examine themselves and they drink damnation upon themselves if they don't actually discern the Lord's body. I said, I don't want any part of that. But what I want to tell you today is that what God is saying is everything that we've said in this time together is that if you can take time and let him examine you, now you can put all those things on the altar. He wants to make sure that we're actually taking a moment Examining ourselves and discerning his body correctly is saying, I remember what you did for me at the cross. When you examine yourself and when you actually discern rightly, you're saying, when I take of these elements, I'm remembering that I'm forgiven and I'm remembering and I'm activating the fact that I'm healed. So right now, for the next few moments, before I walk you through this and before we take this together, we're going to take just a few moments. Todd and Ashley, they're going to minister this. And during this time, this is not about anybody else. This is not about your spouse, your neighbor. This is about you. If you want to come down to the altar, if you want to give yourself over and just even get in the posture of surrender, you can do that. It's open. But for all of us, let's take a moment and ask God to search us. They're going to sing this song, but hear the reflection in it and allow God to show you your motive, show you your fears, and show you your sins. Let's worship.
searched by you we do something often in remembrance of you but don't do it out of routine right now as we take this bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that we didn't have to walk around broken he allowed his body to be beaten and broken down so that we can walk in the fullness of his healing so right now, I speak to every person to a cellular level right now, any sickness or disease that is in your body. I declare right now any neurological situation that may be going on in your body that it is healed in Jesus' name. I declare that the depression that you walked in here with, you won't leave out of here with. 
I declare right now that those things that have been going on in your circular system, right now, free flow is happening in Jesus' name. I declare the trauma that you've operated in because of relational situations, that right now you will be able to walk in the freedom of the one who has made you liberated in Jesus Christ. And I declare right now that as we take together and eat, that we declare that we are healed. Let's take now and eat together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We've tried many things. We've tried to go after things that tried to fix us, but God says that only the blood of Jesus allows us to be made whole and forgiven. And right now, I declare that everything that we've cast into the sea of forgetfulness, that it stays there never to come back again. We thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice of your blood so that we can walk in the freedom and the liberty of Christ. Let's take now and drink together. Hallelujah. Can you do me a favor? Can you, everyone just stand on your feet? We're getting ready to leave together. Let's stand on our feet all over the room. I know this was an interrogative type of message and we kind of just like spoken to some things, but I want you to know that as we allow God to search our hearts this week, as we allow God to get into our motives, get into our fears, get into even the areas that we don't want to show anybody that we're sinning in, he's going to show you a new side of you this week. And not only is he going to show you a new side of you this week, I declare and I believe that you're going to walk in a new level of peace this week. That the anxiety that you've been walking in, you're not going to walk in that anxiety after you leave here today. I'm declaring that by the name of Jesus. Kendra's getting ready to come up here and send us out into our destinies of life. But I just want to say as your pastor, I'm proud of you. I want to say that as we're walking through this series, we're not trying to get into your emotions and go with the ups and downs. We want to build you for life. So as you're walking as a disciple, understand that God is proud of you. We're proud of you. And there's newness in your life as you take these next steps. God bless you, Victory Midtown. We love you.